Welcome, welcome back to Rise to Liberty podcast. Today I am joined by Adam Maxwell. Uh, real quick, before we get going though, I do mm -hmm. just want to drop our sponsor. And just like always, it is Nadu Shave Co. Nadu is absolutely the best razor you could possibly use. So guys, ladies, if you want a superior razor of you know, high quality. It's a uh, veteran owned family operated. I actually just used uh, what they had sent me again today, to clean up my, my cheek lines and my neck. And it is without a doubt, a superior shave. It's a company that actually cares about their customers uh, and they are just superior. I, you know, I don't, I don't know what else to say about them. They're, they're just truly great. Plus, they have the balls to sponsor this show, which is always great. So head on over to nadushaveco.com. Use promo code RISE15 at checkout for 15% off. And you will not regret it without a doubt. And that is nadushaveco.com. Promo code RISE15, 15% off. Nadushaveco, where tradition beats modernity. So, Adam, how are you doing today? Doing well, thanks. And yourself? I'm doing well. Uh, just hanging in there, you know, trying to make things happen over here. Pretty much same as you. So, so this is part two of an absolutely insane story. Just an insane story that you have. Um, everyone who hasn't watched this hasn't watched the first part you can definitely go check that out um so my understanding um and this this is just a a, a quick breakdown of the story for my understanding um for anyone who hasn't watched this correct me where i'm wrong so you you had gotten sick you had gotten food poisoning um oh well let's you lived over in in England, in the UK, um, who has socialized healthcare, who has nationalized healthcare. Um, you had gotten sick, and, you had gotten food poisoning. And, and the nanny state. And the nanny state, a, a complete authoritarian state. And so you, you had gotten sick. Um, you had went to private healthcare, um, which is still an option if you have the money or if you have the funds to do so. And they had prescribed you prednisone, uh, which is a really hardcore um, uh, steroid. Um, and to get that prednisone, you actually had to go to a state doctor, uh, a, a state-funded doctor. You had ended up having a conversation with them for whatever reason they had ended up targeting you, um, saying that your ideas of who you were were ideas ideas of grandeur and really outlandish and for whatever reason that placed a target on your back and from there it started a whole domino effect of harassment from the state from there they ended up uh, at one point surrounding your house due to the harassment and you rejecting that harassment and it ended up with you being in a uh, mental health care facility, um, pretty much against your will, 
where they denied you your medication, um, which is tantamount to torture. Um, and that that's where we had left off at the last show. Uh, mm-hmm. So do you fair or do you feel that that's a uh, a uh, fair synopsis of everything? Certainly. Uh, let me expand on a few of their points. So uh, there is private health care in the United Kingdom. Fortunately, uh, my parents were you know, had me on private insurance. Uh, very fortunate for that. So I was able to get the care privately I needed when I had fallen sick abroad and come back for the treatment. Um, but you cannot be entirely private my understanding in the uk um you have to get your prescriptions fulfilled through the nhs and if that's not correct then i was being treated in london my private uh doctor gastroenterologist gave me said go fill it go fulfill it through the nhs and then when i moved back up to manchester which is where i had my home as opposed to my family in london I didn't have a private medical provider up there, so I had to go through the NHS regardless. The So when I went to pick it up, the doctor, the general practitioner, says, what do you do for a living? And I gave an elevator pitch. As a startup founder entrepreneur, that was my, my lifeblood. Lived and breathed, pitching, practicing, uh, charisma. There was nothing, I mean, maybe outlandish, but it was specifically um, grandiosity or the perceived grandiosity of a general practitioner about a pioneering and perhaps revolutionary financial technology startup with the, with the, the field of finance, wealth management, economics, technology. So, and specifically that I presented with grandiose ideas about setting up a business and approaching highly placed people. Hence his referral to CMHT, which he declined to engage with. So that's the target on my back. And it's not so much a, it it is a domino effect of state harassment, but it, that, um, that was the, the orchestrated campaign. So when I was, when my house was surrounded, it wasn't just due to the harassment and me rejecting that harassment. I went to the police, said, I'm being harassed. I'm being terrorized. I'm being assaulted at my home. My mother's being uh, attacked um, with uh, verbally harassed. Um, She wasn't assaulted yet. (laughs) And the, the National Health Service uh, this was about four months of harassment at this point. I spoke to them in uh, for a period of two, three phone calls in January 2021. And April 2021, uh, they'd kind of got fed up of me refusing to engage. And what they said was, um, Adam has a business. Uh, because he has a business and because we've had a red flag, which is to say, because I've presented with a grandiose idea about having my own business and because it's my own money, they've said that um, because of the nature of my business, which they have no idea about, and that I have had this red flag, which is complete absurdity, that I am therefore at risk of financial vulnerability. 
So this is the national healthcare system being told about my business, then saying he has a company, he's potentially dealing with substantial sums of money. He's not at risk to himself or others. We've determined that on the 20th of January, 2020. But he is a financial vulnerability because he's dealing with a business, right? Which is anti-capitalist, which is Marxist, which is socialism. And then I've said to them, I'm go, go away. I'm not going to engage with you. And then they've written down the fact that I have refused to engage with them uh, means that I am at risk of deteriorating in my mental health and my mental state. And that is why uh, they have to do a mental health act and then couldn't get a warrant. So then they had to fabricate the record to invent a warrant, which is illegitimate. And that was why I was um, kidnapped. <clears throat> any any questions on that before I? No, no. That that seems seems like a thorough recap. Um, so so then when I was taken first, I was taken to the the Manchester Royal Infirmary, the closest hospital. Um, taken to the psychiatric ward, locked in between one, two, three locked doors, handcuffed, you know, nearly pepper sprayed, uh, guarded with four police officers and this uh, Einsatzgruppen, this team of uh, the early intervention service. And they get me here and they say, right, we've got you here now. Um, tell us about your business. So I'm not telling you a thing. Tell us about your business. No. So then um, yeah, I have a an inflammatory bowel disease, which is debilitating and agonizing when not medicated. And I, I said, uh, I want a lawyer and you need to give me my medicine. And they said, you don't have the right to a lawyer. You've been detained under the Health Act, which you do. have. You always have a right to a lawyer. You always have a right to legal representation. And uh, eventually they said, if you want your medicine, you're going to have to engage in our assessment. So I thought, all right, you know, here I am. You've got me. You did say you got me good. It's true. So I said, all right, I'll engage with your assessment. I'll tell you about the nature of my business. Nothing, no details. I'll tell you about my business to verify my identity, that I'm my reality. And you can you know, get lost. And uh, I'm reported as saying, I will pass with flying colors. Although I pass with flying colors, although they said I was very impressive and uh, expert, and there may well be base, uh, a basis of truth to my story, they refuse to believe it. Now, when you talk about a, a mental health facility, first off, this is entirely against my will. Right. When your house is surrounded by 10 people, you're chased, you're handcuffed, thrown in the back of a van, taken to um, to imprisonment. Uh, your your family isn't told. There's no official acknowledgement of the detainment. Uh, there's no they haven't presented you a warrant. There's been no court. It's not pretty much against my will. It was against my will. And finally, I have an issue with the word tantamount to torture. Um not, nothing with you tantamount is it means kind of like or it's it's you know these are the characteristics that make it that kind of make it this it wasn't tantamount to torture it was torture 
Um, so that's the medication, that's the torture. I passed their assessment. Most critically, um, this is a health, this is a troop of health, of purported healthcare workers who have tried to interrogate me on my business, then used coercion, intimidation, and torture to try and extract that intelligence from me, to which I refused. And importantly, and this is in their notes, my cognition was not assessed. There were no perceptual abnormalities, nothing which one would expect from a, a mental health act, from anything within their mandate. Um, it was entirely ideological and about my business, nothing about uh, my my health, my physical health, my mental health, only about attacking me, destroying me, uh, not, not just undermining, but invalidating my reality, my business, my liberty, my life, my property. And then I was taken to a to a psychiatric uh, hospital where I was, you know, told that I, I'm, a, I'm at risk of leaving because I, I refused to this uh, because that was the they said I was so condescending and verbally abusive, but not physically. Uh, so I was, you know, locked under lock and key for almost 24. I mean, in that facility, overall, the detention was about 36 hours, although I was condemned, sentenced to two week imprisonment. I was released that same, that next day, that the, after I got there at 11, 12 o'clock at night, and I was released by 5 p.m. because there were no grounds to, to justify my illegal and unjust imprisonment. My business was real. Nothing I said was outlandish. My story was consistent, made sense because it was real. Um, and in the words of the psychiatrist who had to sit there and evaluate me, uh, this was an evil persecution, um, ridiculous and sick. I would definitely have to agree. Um, it's, it's amazing to me just the lengths that they went to um, for seemingly personal reasons, their personal reasons. It, it, I have a hard time articulating just exactly how, how incredibly just so unethical and immoral this was or is um against somebody entirely innocent and it's it's just incredible to me because i i hear so many people with the position that that tyranny doesn't exist it could never happen these days that 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 would be impossible that would never happen and yet here we are uh, granted, most of my audience is in the United States, and we've got our own problems here. But to think that something like this couldn't or doesn't happen here um, is just absurd. It, it's happening over there, and I know it's happened here to uh, maybe not the exact situation, but there have been several instances of similar situations. Um, 
and it's just amazing to me that people would deny the fact that this could happen. And, and um, that's not just an abstract, like, wow, that's, uh, that's unbelievable. Or, uh, you know, there's disbelief and then there's a refusal to, to there's an outright denial that right. cannot have happened. Um, you know, the one thing that I've said about this entire thing, there's no problem with someone saying, well, that sounds, um, sounds amazing, sounds incredible, sounds extraordinary. There's a problem with saying that's, um, you are so extraordinary that I cannot fathom the possibility that what you're saying may have any truth. And as such, I'm going to dismiss it outright and maybe even go on the offensive. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, one thing about government is it continues to grow. Uh, a major political, fundamental political difference between the UK and the USA, for example, is that the USA had a people's revolution. And that people's revolution was uh, set up a constitution that's designed to protect liberty. Now, arguably, it's not done the best job at that. Arguably, it's done the best job so far out of anywhere else. However, it is in the nature of government to continue to grow and continue to exert undue and illegitimate control and authority. Um, give the government a, an emergency power and that emergency or that power shall last forever. Um, so what I, what I was um, set up and, and attacked for is in, in the UK, so they, they have national healthcare, um, which is the health of the nation, not the individual. It's not universal healthcare, it's national health where they uh, feel justified in socializing or nationalizing you under whatever auspices they can think of. And it doesn't have to be grounded in reality or your health or your interest. They don't care about your interests. These are the most yeah. disgusting people uh, in your country, <laughs> in the world. Uh, they're, they're, you know, I have some family uh, doctors in the NHS and they're phenomenal. Um, however, these people, especially these social workers, um, and, you know, I'm not, uh, not, not everyone, but a lot of these people are just absolute losers. They work for the state, uh, because they can't work privately. Uh, they I'll achieved very, every, every, everyone, at least here in the States, <laughs> uh, they, they're, they're, losers in my opinion most of them are left wing uh, they work for the state they want more money which you know fair enough but but um it informs their politics which informs their worldview which informs their actions so these people do not have your interests because you're not paying them to consider your interests they're being paid um, and they have a holier than thou an anointed worldview that is tends to be especially in the uk very left wing and and that's kind of the foundation behind the um the uk nhs kind of political mindset especially in left-wing cities like manchester for me um which is one of the most left-wing places in the country tantamount to california i'd say yeah. or oregon maybe oregon um so in uh, the same same thing you repeat yourself <laughs> In America, you have something known as red flag laws. I'm not 
so familiar with them. But in the UK, um, they this is what was known as an early intervention. Uh, and the early intervention, it's a uh, in psychosis specifically. Um, and it's it's kind of a more advanced form of this socialized um, medicine where basically and if you go and read the if you go and read the papers of the doctor of the psychiatrist that said on the balance of probability i don't believe your business is real if you go and read his papers and you see the tonality that he's writing about where he says you know he, he's he believes he's in a high castle um an ivory tower and he and he is greater than god you know, not just god greater than god um, he is able to uh, intervene, to invalidate, to destroy your divine liberties, uh, to destroy your autonomy, to to go f go above and beyond and directly and consciously infringe on your lawfully mandated rights because he knows best. And that's um, that's in in all of his writings. So my understanding of what an early intervention is, is they say, well, there are. Um, I, I've spoken to some people that say this is genuinely a good thing for some people. However, however, there's a a hierarchy to it where you start with the family. It's all about support systems. There are a lot of people struggling in the world who don't have support systems, who ha do fall victim to these things. However, and that's not what I'm pressing against. I'm pressing against the national healthcare system, um, just dehumanizing its subjects, right? not its citizens, its subjects, dehumanizing them and saying, I'm just going to put them in this box and construct um, what is a, a delusion or a mass formation psychosis about them, and then completely uh, invalidate and, and violate all of their rights and deny they exist. So what an early intervention is, is it says, um, I don't know about psychosis. I've never... <laughs> nothing I, I've ever dealt with but the, the point is that there's some early warning signs um, and by being alerted to them early and by having some kind of early intervention therapeutic approach they're able to mitigate or avoid these psychosis. My understanding is it's intended to be for several years and there's oversight and overview um, focused on prodromal symptoms so I think early early detection and whatnot um but again the point is that, that's up to, to be... them to decide what what those are i mean if you listen to for example jordan peterson a clinical psychologist of private practice he'll say you know if you want to uh if you want to improve it needs to be voluntary uh if someone's court mandated to go see a therapist they're not going to improve nothing's going to happen um so i my understanding is it does have to be to an extent, but if not, then there's a hierarchy of the family, of the community, of etc. And this is what the writings of this person, his name is P.O. Wilkinson, Paul Oliver Wilkinson. Um, he's a head of psychiatry at Cambridge or something along those lines. He is a he is a terrorist who I'm bringing to the International Criminal Court for his his orchestration of this uh, but go Based. read his writings <laughs> go, go read his writing and you'll see he says yeah well there is the family there is this there is childhood da, da, da. but um I, I am the the soul and the the 
you know, highest authority in the land. I sit above the hierarchy, above God, above the laws, above individual consent, autonomy, etc. Uh, and that is what they 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 do. So that is the that, that is the red flag that, that occurred here. They said, well, there is someone that is extraordinary. How is he extraordinary? Well, he's he presents to me who are you but he presents to me as grandiose and that's what triggered everything and they said well there's no symptoms there's no evidence but perhaps grandiosity is a symptom there are these categories and he ticks one two maybe three boxes um therefore we go forth go forth go forth and I'll get into a moment about um, mass formation psychosis. Uh, if there's nothing more you'd like to add on this point, maybe you have some commentary about a parallel to the United States and red flag laws, which again I don't, I'm not as familiar with. Um, so the the biggest thing that that is pushed here for the red flag laws usually has to do with uh, gun control. That's 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 one of the big things that is pushed here. Um, and I would just like to point out to anyone watching or listening, uh, you know, my blind viewers, funny joke, but I'm <laughs> the, the listeners anyways, that this is exactly how a red flag law will play out. Um, you know, the specifics as far as exactly who handles it or whatever might be different here. Um, but this is exactly how it will play out. Um, the state will be the final say in pretty much everything. And they might have these extra steps, the family, the community, um, what, whatever they, they set up, however, they will have the final say. And no matter what, just like everything the state touches, it turns to shit. And they will be the final arbiter of what is considered truth. Um, that is such a, a huge amount of power to give a, just this corruptible, tiny amount of people. It is, it, it should just strike fear in everyone, uh, at the very thought of it. And as, as far as I understand, there are certain states already with red flag laws on the books. Um, so be on the lookout for these sorts of things. Uh, if you do live in one of those states, I would recommend just moving. Um, good luck trying to change them. That's I'm just looking for a for a Sultanitsan quote. Um, it's not just that they are the arbiters of truth. I mean, you know, ideally in in under law, the arbiters of truth are a court. And a jury or a judge and there's uh there's lawfulness to it whereas with the healthcare system it's extrajudicial um no we and they can even say we we know that um we know that that what we're doing is illegal but we feel justified in doing it anyway and just like that there's a complete suspension of, of rights um, C.S. Lewis says that of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. You know, it may be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. 
His cupidity may at some time be satiated, but those who torment us for our own goodwill torment us without end, for they do it with the approval of their own conscience. Well, that's a great um, quote. So uh, Fight for Liberty just uh, wrote in all the states that currently have red flag laws on the books. That is quite the list. And also D.C., uh, District of Columbia, which is our country capital. Doesn't surprise me that there's one there. Not at all. And they also have some super high, uh, uh, you know, private property um, crime rates and uh, just just violent crime rates, uh, which are also increasing. Uh, find that kind of interesting. So the, However, the that, and... that that was a wonderful quote, by the way. Yes, uh, this isn't the quote I was looking for, but assaults and it's um, to, to do evil, a human being must first believe that what he's doing is good or else that it's a well-considered act in conformity with natural law. So either that he's doing good or, or that it's actually good. Uh, it's the nature of human beings to seek a justification for his actions. Ideology gives evil doing long sought justification, giving them the necessary steadfastness and determination. But what's important is yeah, this one. Uh, that is the social theory which helps to make his acts seem good to him instead of bad in his own and others' eyes so that he won't hear reproaches and curses but will receive praises and honours. In other words, uh, you talked about them being able to determine the truth. It's not just about them determining the truth because um, they, the state, will... I had one Einsatzgruppe um, and an action team uh, say, this is our truth. And again, I'm looking forward to talking about the, the, the psychology behind that. But then when the NHS actually have me in custody, I, I'm in a psychiatric hospital and they do an extensive psychological psychiatric evaluation and say, what is he doing here? Everything he said is real. There's not a single symptom, no justification for this. And then I go to the state, I say, I've been tortured. Here's what your doctor has said, that this is all um, illegal. But then all of the state rally around the original action group and around the police and around everyone else. And they ignore that the NHS have, have the, the one that's actually sat down and, and properly considered me with some with some degree of due process. Um, I said, well, <laughs> this is all crap. And they, they have refused to accept that truth and they've refused to take any accountability that they were wrong whatsoever. And this is on a national level. I've gone to every single institution in the UK, uh, including the independent organizations, and they've all said either we don't want to deal with this or well you know what they did was based on what they've done so we're not going to prosecute them or well you know they they heard from this one person that said something in that case they're all doing it rightly or in the case of the police um you know yes the warrant was illegal yes we've deleted the body cameras yes the record we've put down is fraudulent but we're pretty sure we acted in your best interest. Or the NHS, most most hilariously, they say, well, aren't you glad we were there for you during your earliest <laughs> stages of psychosis? 
Uh, we hope you can recover oh my God. from the. Uh, we, we hope you can recover well. It's like recover from what? Your your torture. So, yeah, um, it's it's truly nightmarish. Um, what? What? An, just adding insult to injury. <laughs> it's, it's just like we we know we just fucked everything up. We know that this is completely illegal, but we hope. We hope we did well. <laughs> like, One of the worst is... things, and I, I haven't got in, I, I guess I'll get into, in the interrogation, when I'm being criticized, uh, when I'm being interrogated, not no criticism, interrogated for my business, they say to me, um, I was living in my rented accommodation from, it was supposed to be my second year accommodation at university, which my two housemates had chosen. I didn't get a say in because I was voted out. They say, you know, if you were real, if you were a startup founder, then the place that you're living in, uh, you know, it doesn't look so great here. They say, where's your penthouse apartment? And they say, it was so easy to get you here. Uh, where's your private security? We'll get you again. Um, they, they asked me, what are you doing here? I said, what are you talking about? And then they say these things. What are you doing here, says the government to the citizen? Uh, I don't have the right to a lawyer. I don't have any rights. Um, I need to have private security. I need to live in a penthouse apartment, even though I'm at risk of financial vulnerability, living in nice, reasonable student accommodation. Because I'm a businessman, how can I be living in student accommodation? Or it was a, a regular accommodation, a residential, but you know, near the university or whatever. Um, I, I wanted to say something. Um, I'll, I'll come back to it. Um, but yeah, the, the there's just this insanity on their by them and it, it comes down to it comes down to a mass formation psychosis so what is mass formation psychosis so it's it's psychosis it's it's being literally crazy being unable to ascertain reality and this is what they accused me of um they said we don't know what's wrong with him maybe a psychotic episode uh, the official diagnosis was the delusional psychosis which means you've completely lost all touch with reality um Whereas, ironically, that was what, what they had done. So how does this happen? Well, it starts with, um, it starts at the base level with, with a potential for ideological bias. So again, these, these people who uh, I believe the evidence shows and the, the environment uh, that they have ideological biases, uh, it's predominantly of Marxist socialism, which predisposes them against capitalism or individuals perceived as capitalists or free market enterprise then you have a false report and prejudice so i'm falsely reported as a business owner which aligns with the agency's ideological and prejudiced view as well as again this holier than thou anointed we are the the tyrants for your own good um then they don't have a, an objective investigation. There's no lawyer on, on this team saying, oh, giving them any oversight. There is a biased team going after you, attempting to investigate you. But really, it's just to build up a, a 
you know, to, to confirm their biases. So evidence and information about the individual are interpreted through this lens of the agency's biases. It's not lawful. There's no balance. There's no due process. Um, for instance, being a business owner is not seen as responsibility, um, which means he's better than me because I, I live in a crap house down the street. It's seen as a sign of financial vulnerability or exploitation. Uh, when, like, when they encounter evidence which goes against their narrative, for example, you talk about the family. They phoned my mother, January 2021. Are you aware your son has a business? Yes. You're crazy. Uh, we can't believe this. We're going <laughs> to shelf that. We're never going to see it again. Uh, so that evidence never pops up again when they present their narrative, for example, for the warrant. Um, one person said it, they didn't report it, or they never got logged into the bureaucracy, that, that this one thought that they have. Um, so they dismiss the contradictory evidence. There's cognitive biases, confirmation bias. They're just ra either rationalizing away, ignoring it, or deliberately, which is the malevolence, deliberately. Um, they have this false narrative and they continue to reinforce it. Multiple pieces of evidence that contradict the false narrative, they're witnessed but they are not acknowledged or are rationalized to fit the narrative. For example, they see me, they come to my house and I'm wearing a business suit, a three-piece pinstripe suit. Maybe I'm on a Bluetooth headset. They say I'm you know, speaking to voices in, in my house all dressed up when there's no one around. <laughs> then they see me going for a run, wearing you know running, bo running bottoms. And they say, well, right, well, comparisonly, he's looking scruffy, which means he can't take care of himself. Huh? Um, overall, this agency experiences a phenomenon known as groupthink, where the desire for harmony or conformity in the group makes results in an irrational decision-making outcome. And what they do is they build and reinforce this false narrative, which begins to escalate. Because at first, there's no risk to himself or others, but he has a business uh, which... This was quite funny. Uh, I am unable to assess over the phone whether there is an underlying factual basis to his claims. And it may be that he does have a successful startup company, writes Oliver Wilkinson. However, he's refusing to let us assess his company, so we cannot determine it, therefore. So it, it escalates and it escalates and it escalates. The narrative goes from the individual being seen as potentially financial vulnerable to being accused of serious crimes like solicitation to murder, which is what they used to get the warrant finally, which carries a, a, an imprisonment of life in prison up to a solicitation to murder. They said he, he's going to kill us all because I, I said, you need to cease and desist. I'm, I'm not like this is it. <laughs> Uh, I didn't say this is it. I said, you need to cease and desist. You're, you're terrorizing me. I haven't been, I said, you ha I haven't been so angry in five years. So they say five years ago he he nearly killed someone and he's going to kill us now, and that was that's how they twist it. Um, so they they continue to try and justify their initial beliefs and actions, leading to more extreme uh, conclusions. And not once do they have any 
um, self-reflection. And if they do have self-reflection, like they did in my case, uh, we acknowledge the possibility that Adam may not have a mental illness. We do not have the grounds. There are no grounds to, we want to get a warrant, but the that we feel there are no grounds to, to get this. That just gets ignored, displaced. Um, it doesn't matter. Uh, they cannot admit they were wrong. Uh, they just keep going, keep going, and there's no way to stop this. Again, they say, well, you, you refuse to engage with us. It's like, no, I spent 24 hours before that point engaging with you and the police and formal complaints and phoning up your administration, having my company phoning up your administration, having my mother being phoned by your administration, everyone telling you the same thing. And again, um, none of this was uh, none of this was lawful. None of this was um, was required. None of this was mandated. It falls outside of their mandate. Um, but admitting error would be fallibility. And you know, this is what the independent organisations have said. Well, you know, yes, what they've done wasn't right, but it was based on this, which is not justification for torture. Uh, an, an order from a higher up and someone else is not a justification to engage in illegal activities. And when it comes to this, and um, articulately and compellingly earlier, how this was torture in the first call. If you are complicit or participate in torture, which is the deliberate infliction of uh, suffering, mental or physical, psychological, deliberately, uh, then complicity participation you cannot have you cannot justify as well, someone else was, was dealing with that. Um, so again, I'm I'm interrogated, despite providing voluble and expert knowledge that impresses all of these people. They refuse to believe in, believe me. Uh, this disbelief is part of that delusion where the reality presented by the subject by the individual does not fit the constructed narrative of the agency. They cannot, uh, this, this narrative, the, this propaganda is invaluable. Um, they can't, and, and there's no due process and there's no legal representation. Uh, and they feel they are justified because they're doing this in my own, uh, you know, for your own benefit and they're above yeah. the law. For, for your safety. For, for your own good, beyond your safety, <laughs> for your own good. So uh, I was then wow, labeled bless, as bless, being... bless them for taking such pity on us. <laughs> <laughs> I was then I, I, labeled I so safe. <laughs> labeled as being uh, having being delusional psychosis and sectioned. I was released the next day, supported by substantial evidence. Uh, the release should indicate a breaking point in the delusion, where the evidence becomes too overwhelming to ignore. Um, but it's not. And to this day, they've refused to accept wrongdoing. And I've had I've, I've exhausted domestic remedies. Every agency in the United Kingdom, uh, specifically my grandfather, who's in his 80s, he spent ev uh, every available day the past two years um, dealing with these UK agencies, with everyone uh, from members of parliament to every agency, to independents, to boards of directors, and they're all covering it up. Um, in spite of the overwhelming evidence, which is why well, they, I've had they, they they cannot admit wrongdoing all of a sudden then that that shows that the system that they have put in place is fallible. And then maybe all of a sudden there isn't such justification for such a system. And then money disappears, jobs disappear. Um, so so they can't they can't admit that they did wrong. 
Otherwise, the, there's there's no justification for their existence. The craziest thing is in my case. Yeah, they they did something wrong. Yeah, oh. they did something <laughs> wrong. Yeah, they did something wrong. But um, and you know, people will say, well, you know, again, this how can this happen in a democracy? Isn't there rule of law? Isn't there isn't there a legal basis and safeguarding to this? No. Right. Words on paper. The only delusion I had was I have human rights. I know what they're doing is wrong. And I, they have no basis for what they're doing. Therefore, I have nothing to fear. I, I'm not taking this seriously. Uh, the law should protect me. No. Uh, power. The power goes beyond the law. So that there are international statutes uh, to protect against this. Specifically, there's... Um, the General Assembly Resolution 37194 is the principles of medical ethics. Here are six principles you need to abide by. They broke every single one. Um, here is the the uh, United Nations Declaration uh, Convention on Torture, Convention on uh, Disappeared Persons, uh, the Rome Statute, uh, Universal Declaration of Human Rights. What they write specifically is... Um, we acknowledge that what we are doing, we acknowledge that what we are doing, we recognize that executing a warrant has implications for Adam's Article 5, human right to liberty, and Article 8, right to privacy. However, we feel that this is a proportionate intervention at this time due to risks of health and safety because of his mental illness. There was no this evidence for mental that was what they've written in the warrant. There was no evidence of a mental illness. What they said is, we don't, we don't have ever, we we haven't been able to assess him. Uh, he is refusing to engage with us, which I was right to do. It was well within my rights to do this. But they say, but due to this mental illness, which we have no evidence to believe, but we've had a report, and the one healthcare professional, the one GP, keeps insisting. She's right, and, and uh, this is the case. So we cannot dismiss, we cannot release him back to the GP because the GP insists. And the GP then, uh, she said, my company is a, is not a company, it's a cult, um, that going hiking is a dangerous walk. Um, this the, is a lot the, of projection. <laughs> this is incredible. It's like, so uh, people talk about how this infantilizes the, the population, uh, which is true. But you don't have the responsibility, the, the, the management responsibility to go and take a walk with your friend, even though you're you've mountaineered uh, across England and Wales and Scotland and, you're, and uh, Bulgaria. Um, you know, we, I don't feel comfortable doing that. So you, you cannot... Um, it's it's all projection. It's all it's all nonsense, um, and yet they don't have any any evidence to support this. But it doesn't matter because it's power. They believe they're justified, therefore they are, and that's all that matters. And there's they, no they're justified there's no safe in guard. subverting any anything set in place to protect you because Correct. they say so. So I get released from the psychiatric hospital. The doctor says, run, hide, run, go. Um, try and get someone else to deal with the consequences of this because it's 
going to be extremely traumatic for you, which is what I did, but go home and then run. I did that. Um, I, I, I had to go, I had to go get a, an MR, an MRI and a colonoscopy to assess the damage done from being deprived of my medication. Thankfully, nothing too bad occurred, uh, but that took a couple weeks to settle through as I was packing up my life, saying goodbye to my friends and family, spending time with my grandparents for as little as I had left with them. Um, and during this time, they're keeping, they're trying to keep tracks on me, right? Oh, he's left Manchester. He's now in London. Uh, maybe he needs to go speak to a register in London, go speak. Maybe he needs to have an and, assessment and down did, there. How did they do that? How did, how did they try to keep track of you? Uh, Were they tracking you through the through your phone, social media? Um, no, no. Actual um, surveillance, like trailing you? In in Manchester, it was actual surve physical surveillance, trailing me, going from stores, running around the neighborhood, peeking through my window. Um, here, the doctor said that I was going down to London, so they're doing that. Um, and particularly with the healthcare system, uh, I have I have to go pick up medications, so they're looking for where I'm where I'm flagging up there, um, which was which I'll get on in just a moment. So uh, I guess I'll say it now. Uh, when I when I had to leave the country, I had about a month of medic a month's worth of medication. I was kidnapped on the 29th of April. I left the country on the 31st of May. Um, I ran out of medication. I had two left. You know, I was. I was going to go on a, you know, the 2nd of June, I'd be out of medication, or I think the 1st. So I go to a, to a pharmacy. I say, look, um, here's my medication. It's exclusively an anti-inflammatory. It doesn't do anything else. Um, can I please have fill my prescription? They say, computer says no. Computer says no. You, you need your GP to tell us to pick up your medication. I say, look, I'm an adult. <laughs> I have this disease, I need this medication or I'll be in enormous pain. Please, can I get this medication? No, your GP needs to tell you. Well, my GP is a terrorist. What do I do? Uh, so I didn't <laughs> get the medication. As a result, when I left the country, come to this foreign land, which I'm in, no, you know, don't speak a word of the language, don't have uh, those medical connections. I didn't have medicine. I, I went and got um, these tablet forms of the i have long release granules i take once last the day couldn't find that i needed a prescription or something or i don't know i don't speak the language uh i was in enormous distress suffering ptsd um and, and all the accompanying so i i'm on i'm using these tablets but they're they're short release short form which means i'm in constant pain every three four hours I don't know how to deal with this. So thank you, NHS, with your totalitarian system, uh, more pain inflicted. In contrast, here in Bulgaria, I go to a pharmacy. I say, hey, can I get uh, this medication and even this medication? And more often than not, they just say, yes. It costs this much. Here you go. And they say, do you have, sometimes they say, do you have a prescription? Yes, I do. Okay. It's not. You know, I'm an adult. Again, I'm I'm not. This isn't this isn't um, opium or uh, that benzodiazepines. Any, any, 
any yeah, sort of it, narcotic it, or anything that you could abuse. It doesn't have a correct. It doesn't have. It does. It's not an abuse. It's just medication. Uh, so, and that's not all the. That's not all the time. Uh, we've just tried to get some antibiotics, and they said you know, we needed two, but the prescription only said one. And they said you need to go speak to the. Okay, fine, whatever. It's not the biggest deal. Um, but generally, I don't. It, it, I'm an adult here. I, I'm I'm an adult everywhere. But generally, <laughs> you're not being not just infantilized, but invalidated by the state actions. So they, you know, you need your GP. They, they, they. I remember in one text they write that um, he's going. He's going to run out of medicine soon, so he's going to have to go and get medicine, and that's going to have to go through the GP, um, which was, <laughs> which is quite. Uh, sinister. Uh, I was unable to do it. As such, I was in a great deal of pain when I got to this country and before I was able to find a hospital that speaks English that uh, I could go see. So before I left, though, I spent a few weeks in London uh, uh, and it's my birthday in May, uh, May the 20th. So I figured um, I don't like London. I find it to be a, not a great place to live. It's concrete jungle. It's depressing. People are, there's no, there's a lack of humanity there. At the same time, you know, I, I grew up there, born, raised, lived there 20 years. It's not the worst city in the world. Manchester seems to be due to the government, but it's not great. So for my birthday, my last great British adventure is what I called it. I went back up to Manchester to go get my things, to say hello to my housemate. And we decided we go climb the mountain in Wales. In, two hours to the west, Snowdonia, we went, uh, climbed the mountain. Unfortunately, there was a storm, uh, yellow wind warnings, um, which unavoidable, couldn't do anything. And I'd forgotten, I, I was unable to find my waterproof leggings in time. When I left London, I had to go, I was searching for them. I was living out of my car and an office at the time because I'd been driven out of the home, told don't go back to this home. My my housemate texts me saying uh, there's been four or five knocks on the door. I think they're still still coming around physically looking for you in in Manchester. Um, sinister, sinister. So I, we go we go to Snowdon and it, it's May and the mountains about a thousand meters high. Uh, but the most vicious storm I've been in, and I've been in blizzards 2,000 meters up. This is the most vicious storm I've been in. We get to the top, it's quite nice. There's the, the summit of Snowdon. It's got a circle of stones. I took out my axe, I smashed the, the circle of stones. I went, fuck this country. <laughs> and then, and then not five seconds later, ice crystals started forming in my legs. I was getting second degree, second degree frostbite in my legs. I say to my friend, fuck, I see my fingers start to freeze. I put on a new pair of gloves. Uh, I said, we've we got to go. And we run off the mountain. The storm gets worse and worse. When we got there, the storm was just like hitting the summit of the mountain, which is all form, you know, of uh, the mountains on the most, one of the westernmost points of the Atlantic Ocean. This is where the storms come in. Vicious, vicious storm, yellow wind warnings, uh, soaked in there for three, four hours. It wasn't particularly cold. I didn't feel any cold. But after three, four hours climbing the mountain, I hit the summit. My legs started freezing. We run like the the mountain, the the mountain, the the water, the, 
first off, the wind's threatening to blow us off the mountain. Uh, the rain's coming down. We see a guy on the mountain. He's, he's like going up and doesn't look so prepared. We're like, what are you doing? He's like, uh, I said, we gotta go, we gotta go. And we run down the mountain, taking cover. Uh, I mean, that was dangerous. <laughs> But it was it wasn't so bad. Uh, my friend had thermal leggings on. I did not. I couldn't find my waterproofs. Um, I got back to Manchester eventually, and uh, I was in pain, to say the least. Uh, I had gloves. I had socks. I had uh, mountaineering boots. So my extremities were fine, but my legs, my lower back, uh, around there, that was all damage to some degree and what happens is second degree frostbite uh ice crystals formed in my legs when the ice forms it causes necrosis of the cell tissue uh necrosis is very painful i imagine if you get bitten by a snake uh painful necrosis the tissue um i got back to manchester i took a bath i rubbed on ointments and things i spent a few hours researching I'm first aid qualified, but I'd never suffered frostbite like this before. Yeah, think frost nip in the fingers sometimes, nothing like this. Eventually, I, I get in bed. I can't, I can hardly move. My legs feel frozen stiff after I've soaked in the tub, after I've done some first aid with aloe vera. Uh, you treat it like burns, by the way, if you get burnt by the cold. Aloe vera massage, warm, not hot, warm water bath. I phone up the non-emergency hotline. I say, uh, I say, I've got second degree frostbite. It's not third degree. It's not first degree. It's in my legs. I'm in a lot of pain. Uh, what do you think I should do? They said, you need to go to a hospital straight away. So, okay. It's two in the, it's almost two in the morning at this point. I say, okay. Um, they say, you need to go to this hospital, Manchester Royal Infirmary. I say, well, is there another one I can go to? They say, no, that that's the one you have to go there. It's the closest once open, go, Fair enough, reasonable. I go there, I get triaged by some by some fat, chubby doctor, young doctor guy in training. Um, <laughs> with uh, I, I say I say to him, you know, as a first aider, as a mountain leader, uh, as someone that's spent several hours researching symptoms, treating it properly, I say, look, I, I've got second degree frostbite in my legs, back. He says. Show me your fingers. Show me your toes. Nothing there. He goes, show me. Okay, look, they're fine. Uh-huh. Go take a seat. I'm sitting like this because I've got second degree frostbite in my legs. <laughs> it's painful. They say, Adam, yes, right this way. Okay. They take me to lie down. Wonderful. Thank you. So a doctor will be in here. I'm waiting on a dermatologist. Instead, Alan Coe, the director of mental health at the Manchester Royal Infirmary, comes in, closes the door, locks it behind me. What are you doing here? Huh? Uh, what are you doing here? You, you're not injured. You're mentally ill. Um, so hold, hold on a minute. What are you talking about? There's a gazebo outside. We can hear the storm smashing the gazebo. The storm came in from the Atlantic. We're 200 miles inland. Uh, you can hear the storm. You can check the weather on that day, 20 May 2021, yellow weather warning. There was a storm. There's no, you can't lie about this. Uh, they said, you know, you, you're uh, you're not sick. What are you doing here? Uh, what, what the, who the, I get angry. Who the hell are you? Da, da, da. you know, sh what's your name? He hides his badge, but I see it. 
Alan Coe. I say, Alan Coe, I see, he, he, I say, get, get out, get out, you know, da, da, da. He leaves the, the room. I shout out to a man in the hallway, excuse me, I need your help. I've just been assaulted by that man. Um, you know, I, I, I need some, some help here. And he says, well, I find that hard to believe because that's the head of mental health at this hospital and you're locked up in a psychiatric ward. I freeze, trauma. I realize I'm three doors down on the other side of the hallway from where I was originally imprisoned on the 29th of April. I book it. Uh, the doors, they're locked through magnetic magnetism. Uh, I learned in school, which had magnet locks. You can, you can smash those things open. So I get through two, three broken door, uh, magnetic lock doors. I'm being chased by them. Stop, come back. I say, fuck off, you terrorist, get away from me. <laughs> I run to my car, they're chasing me to the car, I slam it in reverse, almost hit a guy. I run off into the night, uh, evasive maneuvers through the city, find a place I know I'm not followed, can't like turn the lights off, chill. What the fuck just happened? Phone my mother, three in the morning. Uh, like this just happened, it's so awful, like help. She phones the hospital. Uh, they say, well, first off they say this had nothing to do with that first incident of the of everything else that's happening independent what they said was it is extraordinary for someone to come in with se with secondary frostbite claiming they've climbed a mountain there's no mountains in this city um and his extremities weren't damaged so rather than have a dermatologist come in rather than saying well that's extraordinary but grandiose even but it all logically follows everything is it's logical it's just not normal rather than have a doctor come and assess the injuries they send the head of mental health who comes in and immediately assaults me again this isn't infantilization it's invalidation you are mentally ill what are you talking about there is no storm outside <laughs> what the Oh my, so I end, I, I run home. I'm worried they're going to come after me the next day. So it's five in the morning. I'm packing up my things from the house, trying to get everything home. My roommate, you know, it's five in the morning. Can you shut, shut up? Like, no, like I'm terrified. I'm going, uh, ended up collapsing from exhaustion. Uh, I got a ticket on my car because it was parked out, out the door because I couldn't walk. I end up taking as much as I can and going an hour, two hours to the, next hospital on the way down to London, Stoke University Hospital, where I said the story and they said, okay, lie down, dermatologist. Oh yes, you have second degree frostbite. I said, right, is there this medicine that I can take? They said, no, that medicine is for third degree frostbite. You don't need it. Here's what you need to do instead. I said, that's kind of what I was doing. Da, da, da. Um, so, okay, I was seen by a doctor who said, yes, you have secondary frostbite, it's going to hurt for a month, two. Um, that was it. This is the level of systematic, or maybe this is systemic. Uh, this is systemic prejudice, bias, and insanity in national healthcare, um, where, uh, in contrast, if you go and look at my, you, you, you will not, but if the, if the ICC goes and looks at my um, in, International Criminal Court, goes and looks at my first gastroenterology report. It says, Adam presented with these symptoms, 
he is the CEO of a financial company. That's all it said. What the national healthcare system says is, well, this is extraordinary. We're not going to consider this person individually, but on a national level, we're just going to attack, attack, attack. And that is the evil, malevolent cynicism of the, the national healthcare uh, system. Seemingly for no reason. No reason at all. Uh, again, what's the reason in this story? Uh, Adam is extraordinary. He's climbed a mountain. He's got frostbite. The frostbite's not in his extremities, but his legs and lower back. So rather than say, well, that is a, it's quite a story. Let's go get a doctor to check it out, to verify. None of that. Straight, the head of mental health at the Manchester Royal Infirmary, Alan Coe, who I've not really been able to find, uh, you are mentally ill. There's no storm. <laughs> just, just straight attack. And that's the tyranny of the UK. And when I say that there was this moment of utter terror in the hospital, trauma, um, the words, we will get you again, the realisation I'm back in prison in this psychiatric hospital, but doing literally nothing, perhaps even doing virtuous activities, adventure, expedition, uh, entrepreneurship. All of a sudden you recognise in the UK, you have no rights. You have uh, no security. Without that, you have no, no quality of life. If you're subject to these arbitrary detentions, you have no standard of life. It was, um, at this point, I'd already bought my plane ticket out. But it, it is untenable for me, and I urge everyone else, to live in the United Kingdom underneath this, this malevolent governance. And so I left the UK to Bulgaria, uh, where I sought asylum. And w once you got there, um, we kind of touched on this in the last episode, but you got over there and they denied you. They denied you asylum. And from my understanding, um, you know, we, without going into all the detail, Basically, they stated that because this happened in the UK, that it couldn't have happened in such a functional uh, functional it, country with a democracy. They said it. They said um, the UK that there are no reports of uh, human rights violations in the UK in recent years. No reports, which is a lie. Even by the UN, by Human Rights Watch, by Amnesty, they all say, yeah, the UK's got some problems. Uh, I can just say Julian Assange. I say, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. I can say that people are arrested for praying in their head on the sidewalks. If that's not a human rights violation, I don't know what it is. Um, so what they said was um, the State Agency for Refugees said... We're denying his asylum because it's a safe country. Uh, therefore, we're not going to consider the individual merit of the case. Uh, we're just going to refuse it on that basis, which we kind of expected. Uh, we, we kind of expected. Uh, so I had to go appeal it. But uh, it's disappointing, to say the least, and especially uh, it's disappointing, to say the least and illegal but then uh, we can talk about how i wasn't allowed to appeal 
which is insane. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, so, um, you, you had mentioned that after you had gone through that, they denied, um, they didn't allow you to appeal, which you do have the right to do. Um, now my understanding is that they kind of tricked you for lack of a better term, um, and denied your evidence that you had provided uh, somewhere around 24 pages um, proving the situations that you had been through, correct? Correct. Um, if it's all right, can I just take a three-minute break to quickly run to the bathroom? Yes, of course. Uh, talk about your sponsor, talk about anything you, you want in the case. Yes, so, yes yeah, of course. This is yeah. actually a perfect time for everyone to make sure and hit that like button, uh, hit the subscribe. Um, I have gone ahead and hit or uh, added Adam's telegram. Um, go ahead and go follow him. It's uh, Liberty Rising Group, t.me slash Liberty Rising Group. And uh, yes, this, this is a perfect time to bring up Attention listeners. Nope. Sorry. Wrong one. Here we go. Nadushaveco.com. Uh, make sure and go check them out. Uh, absolutely amazing shave. The days of big shave are over. Nadushaveco.com. Promo code RISE15 for 15% off your order. Nadushaveco, where tradition beats modernity. You know, it's it's absolutely incredible. I'll, I said this before, I'll say it again. It's incredible to me that there are people out there that state that this cannot happen in today's world. I believe Adam did make a very great point that there is a level of, you know, not being able to believe something, but then there is just a level of deniability. People just deny what their eyes and their ears see and hear. And there are so many people that outwardly and even inwardly blatantly reject what they see and what they hear. Now, I imagine, you know, hopefully this, this story does get out to as many people as possible. I imagine that there would be people that would find this this story adam's story to be so unbelievable that they would reject it and i would hope at least that you know none of these would be my listeners um i do challenge anyone who does not believe um go ahead and uh comment whether you do believe or don't believe go ahead leave a comment Make sure to hit the like and subscribe or hit the dislike for all I care. But uh, it's, it's, it's hard to ignore such a thing when somebody has the ability to prove exactly what they have been through. Um, I assume, Adam, if, if anyone has any questions, and we'll, we'll get to uh, how people can get a hold of you, but I assume you'd be willing to, uh, to answer questions if somebody was genuinely curious about this. 
absolutely willing to answer questions, willing to show the proof I am able to, given everything yeah. I need to. Uh, but yeah, all questions. You'll you'll see that there is nothing in my narrative um, which is contradictory, or in, in any fashion. It all it's all very logical, makes sense because it is the truth. Uh, and as such, I've been able to tell the same consistent story for two and a half years now with no deviation because I just describe what I've been through. Yeah. Um, so um, we, were, we were getting ready to discuss after you had been denied asylum, um, what, what had happened after that? Yes. So I'm just pulling up my my annex to my to my diplomatic appeal, uh, inhuman or degrading treatment, um, which is deprivation of. So by uh, this treatment of of me. Uh, a series of actions initiated by an unlawful and baseless demand constituting gross abuses, gross violations. Uh, these, you know, this, this um, deliberate and systematic campaign to invalidate and destroy my identity uh, has not only dehumanized me and undermined, invalidated my personal narrative, but also my professional integrity. Uh, I had a stellar reputation. Um, but, you know, I'm not perfect, no one is, uh, but I hadn't done anything anything bad, I hadn't done anything wrong. Um, as such, people were willing to work with me. I was at the top of my game when uh, back in 2020, 2021. Um, but with all this hanging over me, what, what the, uh, there, there's two narratives that can emerge as to why three narratives as to why the state agency may be able to deny the asylum. What they went with is um, it is illogical. This, this circumstances exists outside the, the mandate, the competence of the National Health Service. It's illogical for them to be trying to convince me of the non-existence of my company, which was lawfully registered and legally operating, which is true. So then they, they say, well, that's not an act of persecution, or I don't substantiate a risk of persecution, even though that's illogical, because what they say is that the refugee history is manifestly unreliable. So we don't believe him, even though I didn't apply for asylum straight away. I applied almost a year later, once I've compiled 24 pages, a six plus 18 page document, six pages, I'm claiming asylum, this is why, 18 pages, here's all the evidence and commentary and implications. Uh, not as legally, uh, you know, solid as I, I'm doing today, uh, but a solid effort for for uh, an asylum seeker with, with uh, extreme vulnerability and beyond what one should do one should and beyond the un standards convention protocols for how state agencies are supposed to deal with asylum seekers including as well there's a european uh european standard for this 
uh, Directive 2011-95 EU, uh, specifically how do they, uh, the standards, qualifications of asylum people and, and how you're supposed to deal with that. So none of that's followed. Yeah. So this um, persecution has followed me to Bulgaria, where they've said, I am manifestly unreliable due to the extraordinary nature of my case, where the UK, where this cannot occur in the UK because it would be against the law. There are, there are safeguarding mechanisms in place to prevent this. Impunity is not a problem in the UK. Um, Rotherham, Rotherham, Rotherham. Um, this would be illegal. This is outside their mandate. This is, this is, they didn't say crazy, but this is crazy. This is a, this is absurd, ridiculous. We're going to dismiss it. That's narrative one. Narrative two is to say, um, I think two and three are related. Narrative two is to say I deserved it. Is to say uh, you are mentally ill, and as a result, you being taken to hospital and assessed and de de deprived of your liberty. Is all justified, valid, therefore acceptable, and therefore was not an act of persecution because it was right. Now that can be disproven easily with the discharge summary, which I've included in all my legal communications. Here's the discharge summary by the doctor of the NHS saying there were no grounds, I am legitimate, this was all crap. So you, you invalidate that. And the third is to say that um, so either unreliable is mentally ill. Um, and then you say that maybe maybe this happened, but I'm mentally ill, so whatever. Let's ignore him. Let's invalidate him. Let's uh, minimize it. So what, what ended up happening is I go and apply for asylum. I get rejected on those grounds. And then we go to the largest – I mean, I've been to the United Nations uh, UOM – something of migration, the migration agency of the United Nations, they say, we can't help you. I say, who can? They say, go to the Helsinki Committee. I go to as many NGOs looking for, for help. They all kind of say, go to the Bulgarian Helsinki Committee. What they are is the largest human rights organization in Bulgaria. Uh, in Europe, we have something known as the Helsinki Committee. It's kind of a federation of NGOs, uh, I don't that they're non-government organizations, but it's a supranational one with individual branches in many of the countries. Uh, their main activities are advocate is monitoring the human rights situation here, advocating with the authorities to improve human rights, protecting these rights through litigation, and uh, you know being the the greatest supporter of human rights in Bulgaria. The largest one is what they say. So we go to them what they and they say. they say this is awful. <laughs> they say this is awful. First off, you're not going to get um, your asylum is going to be rejected from the state agency of refugees. We do legal aid. Everyone said come to us for legal aid. We do legal aid. What's happened to you is awful. You've shown us the proof. Uh, we're going to to get to get you through. So I. I get the rejection, I email them, and all of a sudden, they, the director says, we're not going to deal with, with Adam. Let's get that up. What she says, so I sent her, I sent, you know, hey, my, my asylum's been rejected. Uh, I'm trying to get 
my son's been rejected. Here's the appeal. Um, I send it to them. I say, here's the rejection. Uh, please let me know what I need to do. And they say, well, you've been refused. Uh, you need to go to, you need to go to a, um, oh, okay. They said, you've been refused. You've missed your deadline. So the refusal could become final. Um, if you've managed to submit an appeal, I'd already, as soon as the appeal was denied, I went straight to them. They wrote the the appeal. We went back to the agency. Here's the appeal. We, we appealed this decision immediately, the next day, I believe, or, or the same day. Um, we, we did appeal. Here you go. Here's the evidence we've appealed. Um, can you help? Uh, they say, you know, your appeal has been prepared by us as part of our legal aid. However, based on the assessment of your case, which we have not done, which we have done while preparing your appeal, you have been advised that we will not be going to represent you before a court, um, which was not the case. Uh, I said, well, you know, hello, you've uh, told me that you will be providing me. Uh, I do not understand your email. You have now, to confirm, you've now reevaluated my case and withdrawn your support. May I ask why? Can you confirm your reluctance, refusal to defend my person that was deprived of liberty with a clear national socialist conspiracy to violate my, my basic rights. They write, you need to check your court file to see who the legal aid is. I say, how do I check my court file? As a refugee, uh, I'm in a distant and foreign country. Everything's confusing. I don't understand how to do this. I don't understand. I say, I've attached a minimum, clear, demonstrable, substantiated, and overwhelming evidence that I am the victim of Two, violation of basic human rights. In additional evidence submitted, I show this was motivated by uh, my ethnicity, religion, and age, and minority deprived of my rights. Why am I encountering such resistance? Are my rights being rejected as a foreigner? This is what the, the rejection letter says. I'm from the UK, therefore I'm being denied. Um, I was told I'd, I'd get no legal protection in the UK. I say, why have you changed your mind? Please offer a concise justification, uh, summarizing your careful analysis. Uh, so I attach the admission where they say, yes, we, we admit this is wrong. Uh, he has no symptoms, no concerns whatsoever. We acknowledge he may not have a mental illness. Uh, we And that we do not have the... There are no grounds to request a warrant. His mother denies any mental health problems. Here's the discharge summary, extensively reviewed. No this, no, 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 nothing. I'm a legitimate person. Um, and I get back an answer in Bulgarian, uh, which if I translate it, basically says, uh, so I've emailed her, who's the, this is Ileana Savova, the director of refugees at the Bulgarian Housing Committee. And she's emailed everyone else that has the email. Um, she's emailed the following. This man is a British citizen with mental health problems, which are not grounds for a status. We have written him a request for legal aid for the court, which will surely be provided to him. Uh, I'm quite angry at this point. I went... Um, under How what grounds you? does she does she have to claim? So 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 that's what she sent to everyone, and I was I believe accidentally included. Then she emails me 
CCing and the chairman, we've never pledged to represent you, which is a lie. We told you we will consider your case, which is different, which is a lie and wasn't her that said it. Um, we've, we've, uh, we're, we're moving on, kind regards. I say, how dare you slander a scum? I say, are you insane or is there something wrong with you? What mental health issues do I have other than post-traumatic stress disorder? You can see in this attachment, it shows this, uh, you're a vile woman. No respecting institution should work with you. So she goes, <clears throat> sir, it's my opinion. I think you need a treatment, but it's neither my expertise or position to advise you on that. I say, but she can diagnose you <laughs> over email. I said that, like, I have a, don't worry, scum. I have a great therapist for, tra for the trauma. I think you need treatment, delusional idiot. What I need is a competent human rights lawyer. Evidently, you are an incompetent psychotic. Now, that's quite very rude, but given the uh, the violation abuse from her, quite reasonable. I then sent a, a long letter to the senior partners, the chairman, board director, co-founder, uh, co-founder and advocate, where I dismantle it. I say, this person is an insult to everything you stand for. Uh, it is your obligation to defend my rights in this case. She is completely out of line. It is illegal for her to have written such a response. You can see the attachments. This is what happened. I was the victim of unqualified ideological, uh, I wrote national socialists, but it's Marxist socialism, uh, pseudo medical practitioners. I have a case against them. Um, have you considered submitting her to an IQ test? Uh, fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Fascinatingly, the chairman and founder of the Bulgarian Helsinki Committee uh, wrote a biography where he said, you know, the some of the worst things that I've seen. Uh, you, Dr. Kanev, you're a human rights specialist. I read you're a strong advocate for the rights of people in vulnerable situations. Can you tell us about the most alarming human rights violation cases? We have had lots of cases of people who were ill-treated held in inhuman environments in psychiatric institutions. We have such tragic events taking place in almost all psychiatric institutions. Lots of serious human rights violations take place here, including deaths. I write, this is all in my email. I said, look, uh, in all my communication to the State Agency of Refugee and to you, I've backed up every allegation with evidence, reason, objective facts. I expect that you treat this impropriety with utmost attention, urgency, take the necessary actions, take responsibility. I am perfectly mentally well. I have yet to take my story public. This is not a matter of if, but when. How will the Bulgarian Helsinki Committee be portrayed? I demand justice. I, uh, finally, I do apologize for my temperament in responding to Ileana this morning. I woke up to discover a revolting assault on my basic decencies by a supposedly uh, human rights organization. As any normal human should, I reacted emotionally. I stand behind my my communication and condemn this villain, but do apologize for the language used tone. So <laughs> quite very reasonable, very, I've done nothing wrong. I've done everything, again, I, I feel comfortable enough to just read this out. Um, heard nothing back from them. So all of a sudden, so they say something about a court. I say, how do I do this? I've got no idea. I don't know who, who a lawyer, I don't know how to do any of this. Tell me. Um, I try and do that. I write to the National Legal Aid Bureau here in Bulgaria, and they write me back a letter, which is written in Bulgarian on printed paper, 
They've printed the paper and scanned it back. So I cannot copy it and paste it into a translator. I've got no idea what it says. I say to a Bulgarian friend of mine, I said, what does this say? He, just goes, he reads through it, says, basically, they say they're not going to help you. Oh, great. So I, I go to the, I phone up the agency. I say, when's my, when's my court date? I have no idea what's going on. Um, no one's telling me anything. The, the most I get is, is this letter. Oh. Looks like he clicked out of himself real quick. Everyone, hold on a sec while we get him back. Let's see. In the meantime, this is just such an incredible story. So, looks like he is back. All Sorry, right. I clicked the wrong thing. No um, worries. No idea what's going on. I'm a, a ref. I'm an asylum seeker in a foreign country. I don't speak the language. It's a different, like, it's not like French or German or Spanish, which I kind of, kind of know. It's Bulgarian. I, I can't read. I can't even read the alphabet properly at this point. I can, but I, I don't know. I know five words. No idea what's going on. Uh, I'm not getting legal representation. The lawyers aren't responding back to me. Uh, I don't know what's going on. And eventually, uh, I've, I, and I'm phoning up the agency. When's my court date? Not hearing anything back. Uh, and I just thought, okay, well, I need. They know where I live. I presented that. I just check my mailbox every day. I, I have to get a summons. I have to be summoned to court, right? That's what they said. You'll be summoned to court. They said this person is going to be my translator, and I'll get a lawyer when I get there. Okay. Um, the 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 best advice i can get out of this is you need to get your own private lawyer don't rely on the state whatsoever um you need i mean but you know i've gone to these all these ngos i need help no i've gone to united nations i need help go to these people i've tried i've gone everywhere and um ultimately what ended up happening is i was not invited summoned to the court and they had the the case without me i didn't think that was possible it is. Um, there was not even a, a person appointed there. They never got in touch with me. I had no idea how to get in touch with them. I wasn't given any instructions. Just go to this, go to the Helsinki Committee from the official authorities. Um, so my, my company, Liberty Rising Group, is now it's a, an association now incorporated in Bulgaria. This is the first time I'm publicizing my story. Bulgarian Helsinki Committee, uh, this is a declaration against you. You're, you're terrible, and uh, I will get round to you, legally. I will take the, the legal action that, that uh, I'm mandated to against this violation, and uh, I will be publicizing how, how much of a, an egregious violator of human rights, not a defender, this organization is. So I end up not going, being able to go to court. Um, violation of national laws, international laws, whatever. Um, I had no idea what was discussed in the court. I didn't even know the court case happened until I hear a knock at the door. Knock, knock, knock. Um, we were sleeping. So my landlord phones me up. He says, Adam, uh, the police are looking for you. What are you talking about? Uh, they've just come to, to your apartment. You weren't in. So uh, I was, but we had a very heavy, thick and forced door in the hallway. The Doorbell didn't go off. I, I don't know. Um, so we phone up the migration agency. 
And they say, yes, uh, we're looking for you. Please come in. We go in. And they say, here you are. You're being deported. <laughs> what? But I, I need to go to court. No, the, the court's happened. When? Uh, you know, this is that's illegal. It's crap. I, I want to appeal this. So uh, I said, look, that's, that's illegal. It's a violation. I have the right to appeal. You need to give me due process and and uh, you need to inform me that uh, some of me Ad support adequate notice quick notice none of that happened and they said yeah they said look uh, we know this is illegal we know this this is unjust but we have our orders here to deport you and uh you can't do that i said i want to appeal this they said um it's been six weeks since the enforcement of court you have two weeks to appeal as such, you cannot appeal. You cannot take it to the Supreme Court. You're being deported. They were quite nice, <laughs> these officers. I said, I said to them, look, um, if you attempt to deport me, uh, I will not go peacefully, and uh, you may lose an arm. <laughs> you, may, you may be victorious in whatever you, you aim to do, but you, you will not be deporting me. I will not go. Uh, this is this would be torture. I have the right to non-refoulement. I'm not going back to the UK under any circumstances. I'd rather fight to the death right here and now uh, rather than face certain torture just living in the UK, let alone the possibility of going back into uh, custody for living a better life than the state bureaucrats. <laughs> so that's how uh, I was denied asylum and denied due process. And that's how I was deported, which we'll get to uh, if you want to circle back. But I get back from deportation. Of, uh, of, okay, so they say, we, we don't need to deport you, but you need to leave. Uh, what we recommend, you need to be gone for at least a week, spend eight days in Greece, Serbia, Romania, Turkey, Austria, France, wherever, spend at least seven days out and then come back in, you'll be fine. Uh, then maybe try and apply for residency or deal with something. And so, okay, I went to Greece at a great time. I climbed Olympus. I went to the Pindos Mountains. Uh, one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen called Vikos Gorge. Gorgeous. <laughs> the epitome of gorgeous. And it's the the most gorgy place in the world in terms of uh, width, depth versus width. Um, a really nice holiday. The only holiday I've really had. Uh, the only holiday I've had out of the country, um, certainly. And uh, I came back in, very nervous coming through the border. Okay, you're through. Great. Um, I um, Then, okay, I've got to be able to appeal this somehow. This is completely unjust. There's got to be something where I can do. Uh, I go get a lawyer. They say, yeah, you can appeal to the European Court of Human Rights. But however... However, um, you have three months from the final decision, which was a month ago. So we've got to get on this full speed ahead. So I spend the next two months working with this lawyer, getting an appeal together. And this lawyer, um, he did as good a job as he could. English isn't his first language. He's not a human rights lawyer. Um, I emailed you know, 10 law firms. This is my case in, in a page. Uh, can you help me? He was one of the only ones that responded, certainly the best looking one, went with him, did a decent job. And he tells me about the court case in the administrative court. 
They said they sat around twiddling on their thumbs saying um, there's no, the UK has rule of law. It's, it's perfect. Same thing which was said in the original rejection. But then what they say, uh, which is shocking, is the original rejection did not mention the 24 pages of submission. The court case did. They said, yes, there is this submission. Um, however, it was compiled by him, which means uh, we're going to not admit it to the court. And therefore, this is as best I understand it, trying to remember from the lawyer. And therefore, um, we can. it's not been admitted to the court. He's submitted no substantial evidence to validate his claims. Therefore, it's his word against the law, against the UK, against the State Agency of Refugee. And the discussion was not on my individual case, but on the their misconceptions, pre, preconceived misconceptions about supposed rule of law in the UK. I don't know what they've used to source that. As I say, I, I've got a, a lot of evidence to invalidate. I've got you know, 50 stories, including uh, condemnations from organizations that I don't necessarily agree with, like Amnesty International. I can say, you know, I can critique them all I like, but they said, yes, in the UK, there's been a crackdown on human freedoms the past several years. Here's some cases. So I don't know what they've used to do that. And ultimately, this is what's known as discrimination, where they say, uh, we refuse to consider the individual merit of the case due to factors which we perceive. So this was, was it religion, ethnicity, nationality? Yes, nationality. Was it color? Was it class? It was nationality. They say he's a citizen of the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom is a safe country. Therefore, this could not have occurred. Similar to what the UK said, saying uh, his here are um, this is what schizotypal symptoms are. I believe uh, he is this and this, nothing else, no no evidence, no symptoms. We're not going to consider him. We're not going to give due process or any consideration. Instead, um, based on one piece of evidence or one 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 fact. So they say, you know, we've had this false report. Bulgaria say he's a national of the UK. Uh, that's the basis of us. And rather than considering reality, they've gone off onto their own narrative, their own propaganda. I was not allowed to counter it. I prepared my case. I was I was confident to go and, and appeal it in the court. Uh, it was not that was not presented to me, available to me. As such, I couldn't do anything. Having spent two of the three months trying to sort out my uh, European Court of Human Rights case, um, I then had to go and meet the criteria for residency. It took more than four weeks to do that uh, because I had to get do something with my accounts in the UK and I had to go do the accounting and then make up the accounts and file the reports. Missed the three-month deadline. So I, I now can't do anything. I've now been denied asylum, deported, brought back in, voluntary deportation again the, these agents they said look we like you we actually want you to be like try and get residency when you come back in we don't want to do that we're not going to enforce your deportation unless you unless you don't go um great guy we want you in this country go get yourself residency go get yourself sorted and uh this is unjust nothing we can do at this point we've got our orders go um I've got all of this on record, although I don't know the quality of it. Most of it's in Bulgarian. I don't understand it. 
but it's it's uh, it's all there. Uh, and they said, yeah, so that's where I am today. Well, that's where I was yesterday, I guess is the right way to say. It. That's where I was at the end of 2022. Um, 2021, I've been persecuted. I've been forced to flee my home. I've come to a foreign country. I've been suffering and suffering and suffering. Half my company fell apart. Uh, again, we talk about reputation. Uh, I, my board of directors say, what's happened? We've disappeared for a month. So look, this is what's happened. I try, I give, try and not give away too many details, but present, you know, this is what happened, ideological persecution. And uh, they all stayed on to that meeting. And uh, all of, uh, most of them, all but one resigned. They said, due to personal and professional risk exposure, your company's great, your vision's phenomenal, but we are um, unable to continue associating with uh, Elevated. Um, again, one stayed on, then the executives uh, resigned as well, um, fell into a deep depression on the worst times of my life. Uh, by the end of the year, started rebuilding that, was able to get some, uh, was able to get some investment in, uh, build up a prototype, tr uh, try work with a couple VCs that uh, didn't like their investment terms. Went to Dubai, which was cool. Um, had an offer for conglomeration, which I may need to get back in touch with. And uh, I was trying to keep my business alive. I've been trying to do that until September of this year, where finally I've just got no more money. I've got no more means to do so. Um, most, most people have just resigned due to it not taking off. Uh, it's mostly a result of uh, the market conditions have gone. The idea is still there. The concept's great. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, the white paper's up. Phenomenal concept where we're, where um, it takes all your data and the the algorithm, the design is to make you money through, um, through engineering, uh, th you know, through a very, very smart AI that's not just intelligent, but it's quantitative intelligence, kind of like quantum computing. Um, so that's where I was up until September, where I've now had to leave Elevated in the background, uh, passive dormant it, and uh, commit myself fully to Liberty Rising Group and this diplomatic mission, Pursuit of Justice. Now, just to give everyone a rundown, what what is Liberty Rising Group? I know we talked about this last episode, but what is Liberty Rising Group? Uh, what What's the ultimate end goal that you're trying to reach? And how can people help? The Liberty Rising Group is an organization dedicated to the promotion and defense of individual liberties and, and freedoms. The work is guided by a clear vision and mission. Um, we're looking for people universally, digitally online mostly, uh, to, to get involved, follow along, support in any way you can. So our vision is to transform the uh, this existing system of tyranny. We, we want to um, transform this concept of liberty from a mere aspiration into 
into the tangible and lived reality for all people. Um, you know, that's that's ensuring principles of freedom and autonomy are not just theoretical, not just laws, but actualized in in our lives and around the world. Uh, in our mission statement, and we're doing strategic litigation, we're doing media uh, like this as well. Uh, we're doing think pieces on our Substack, and our most active is Telegram, uh, where we post memes mostly about liberty, freedom, totalitarian governance, uh, highlighting abuses of tyranny, um, and strategic litigation uh, and education. What it is, is uh, it's a group, it's an association, it's, it's not for profit, it's designed to build up this platform of resistance against tyranny, uniting for freedom, freedom against tyranny. Uh, we want to build a community and amplify uh, and, and publicize uh, actions, activities related to this vision and mission are, are set out. So the uh, you say, what's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is that mission of, of liberty rising, but the the First, the primary uh, objective is, is this mission, this diplomatic mission. It's, it's my case. So we're taking my case. And rather than me personally reaching out to foreign governments saying, we need your help. Uh, here's the human rights. Here's a three-page summary. Amazing. Three, three pages. Uh, <laughs> then here's a massive annex of all the, all the uh, human rights violations, all the laws broken. Here's a big annex of all the evidence. Here's, and within that, here's what we, we need you to do, including diplomatic pressure, um, legal pressure, refer the case to the International Criminal Court, etc. Um, that's the first objective. And it's, it's my case. It's championing that cause. And it means I'm not reaching out, but the Liberty Rising group is. Uh, there's five members right now. It's an established NGO. You go look up. It's got... Um, it's got an incorporation, it's got a paper trail of here's everything that we're doing. It's public, it's it's an organization, it's more than an individual. Um, and that was the why Liberty Rising Group had to be invented. Uh, plus, you know, I was doing hours and dozens of hours a week on legal drafting rather than me doing that on my own, supported by nothing. I've now got it as, as part of an organization and looking to get. Uh, funding for the organization so that I can just <laughs> make it through tomorrow. <laughs> um, Understandable. <laughs> and through publicizing this, uh, already we've got a first case that we're, we're, we've been able to take on externally. So, so this, this individual, uh, I can't give away too many details, but he's had his property confiscated from him, uh, illegally deprived. Um, and so he, he's he's in a state of vulnerability and the Liberty Rising group and me as the primary advocate here, uh, not a legal, not a qualified lawyer, but a legal professional and advocate. Uh, I've been able to come in, take control of the case, uh, take control of the case, put it in the right direction and uh, start looking to get justice and the restoration of his property rights. So strategic litigation it's for me and there's going to be, you know, so we're going to all the governments telling them the story, asking for concrete actions that aims to have an impact on public policy. We then aim to build this platform of education, media, including uh, 
uh, engaging memes as well as uh, you know maybe we'll do a podcast someone someone's been asking um, and interesting discussions about liberty freedom individual rights etc and that's what we're, what we're doing we're building this group creating this resilient community and uh, we invite you to join along in whatever way you can uh, uh, telegram primarily uh, we'll be more active on twitter uh, Substack, and again we're we're expanding so what, what what's other other than um going to follow you and follow what what you're doing say if somebody has some skill or some some ability how do they get involved do they reach out to you through telegram um how do they contribute to this if that's something that they want to do that's the best way to get in uh, the best way to get in touch with me is through telegram my at is elevated liberty the group is at liberty rising group the chat which you can find through there but the chat is liberty rising chat um this is this is a, an organization so I guess it is a company with a group of people collectively associating for a common cause. But again, the goal is not profit. It's it's promoting liberty, promoting justice, property rights, freedom. As such, there's a, a membership structure. I mean, there's, there's a formal membership, part of the General Assembly. But then there's the informal uh, membership. If you're in our Telegram group, which is our main, main you're part of the Liberty Rising group, self-identify. Don't do anything in our name. <laughs> then we can <laughs> approve. Uh, but you're part of us. Great. Uh, I'm building a website. Um, we've got a Substack. I'm building a website. If you want to put together some media, put some content together, whether it be a meme, whether it be uh, a video, an edit, if you want to talk about something, we want to build this platform, grow this platform, develop this platform to invite people in, collaborate on this common cause. Um, and that's, that's the main thing we're looking for at the same time, if you are able to help, uh, help the Liberty rising group in specifically in my case, it for my campaign, if you've got some connections, if you've got, um, obviously if you've got some money, if you've got, um, skills, come tell me how you can contribute, uh, and, we welcome contribution so long as you know so long as it's in line with our principles and values that's the one thing we want to uh, ensure the integrity principles values uh if you align with that value proposition we invite you in 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 any way possible telegram's the best best manner and it would be great to to have collaboration to have um to have more community involvement it's you know I, I one of my favorite things is reading the comment section in the Telegram channel, uh, reposting the, the what people send in, uh, hearing what they say, the reactions. Uh, that's certainly what the the least that we're asking for, well the the middle ground that we're asking for. So, I'm 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 gonna ask you. This is something I I do. I I ask all of my guests this. I, th I find it a fascinating question, um, but I also love hearing everyone's different answers to it. 
It's a simple, but very impactful, very powerful question. Why does liberty matter in the first place? Why, why, why does any of this matter? What, what is the true importance of liberty? You're, you're muted. There you go. So one, one thing about uh, community involvement, I, I've said, look, here's our principles. I set out a mission statement, executive summary, improving up. But I say, here's our principles, and we're going to make sure we stick by them because you're going to call us out if ever we stray from them. Uh, and and someone, sa someone said um, something about objective morality. And I said, oh, you know, th there is no objective morality is what I was told growing up. Um, and I had two, three people say, well, you like you don't believe this. You have core values that fight against the non-aggressive principle. Um, I said, look, I I'm not always right. <laughs> Most of the time, perhaps that the only way to, to always be right is to possess the humility to listen to new information, reflect and be willing to change. Um, so the what is so important about liberty is that liberty is righteous liberty is right uh, it is essential for the flourishing of of uh of you therefore of of any uh, any association any society any nation liberty is that foundation um it is wrong to violate your rights why it's to do with uh, with natural rights. Uh, there's na natural rights which are objectively virtuous. To violate these rights is wrong, and that's why liberty is so important, uh, both on an individual level uh, to 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 even have the concept of justice. Uh, you need to have natural rights. Uh, this objective morality. It's it's not just a political or a philosophical. Um, concept. Liberty is a fundamental aspect of human life and dignity. Uh, to say that every individual has inherent dignity, inherent humanity, uh, and you know, I think ultimately we want to, we want everyone to realize their potential. And that's not me saying, Jacob, uh, I think you need to do this. Uh, I know better than you. Uh, here's what I need you to go do. And if you disobey me, you will be punished. It's you know what you want to do. Maybe you're not always right, but you know generally what you want to do. And I have no right to say uh, I'm better than you in, in, uh, in not in any way, um, but in, in the exercise of ownership over your life. No one has the right to say, I own you. Here's what you need to do. And that's, Liberty. Hey, I think that's a phenomenal answer. And on that, I think we'll wrap up here. Uh, hang out for a minute, Adam, and uh, we'll we'll get this all wrapped up and uh, slap a bow on it. Everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, it means the world that you uh, stay here and watch this. Um, you know, we're we're trying to get messages out to you just like this. Uh, our big tech overlords definitely have made it difficult and they are doing everything they can to make sure and stop messages like this um, delivered from me and many, many other people. Um, 
So everywhere that you can find Adam is in the episode description. Um, I do have to add the Substack. I will make sure to do that. And uh, other than that, make sure and hit the like, subscribe. Um, make sure and share this out there. Um, I will make sure to include part one. Go listen to the first part of the story. Um, and if you think that you can, um, you know, provide any sort of uh, value over to the Liberty Rising group, make sure to do so. We need as many people as possible pushing these ideas, these beliefs, uh, and highlighting people that really want to see a better future for the individual, which in turn will make a brighter future for all of us as a whole. So on that note, thank you so much for watching. And until next time, stay free, my friends.